Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome back to the Roker Report Extra Podcast. Things are looking a little rosy in the red and white garden. We are recording before the Burnley Cup game on Wednesday, but at the time of speaking, Sunderland have won 4-4. Four and four. And they've probably put in the best performance of the season in our 3-1 win over AFC Wimbledon last weekend. So all thoughts turn to a very tough game at the weekend as we face Peterborough United away at London Road, a side banging form following a difficult start. And as always, we do like to treat you on the extra podcast. So joining me all the way from Orlando to preview the game is Posh Chairman and what I like to call Marcus Madison's current captor, Darren McAnthony. How are you doing, Darren? Are you all? <laughs> oh, boy, how are you doing, Paul? Yeah, not doing too bad. Getting by. Like I say, four and four, you can't complain. Things are rosy oh. at your end as well, aren't they? Listen, not as rosy as at your end, is it? You know, 40,000 watching every week, winning games for fun. You're ready to win this league by 30 points. Uh, well, they've set a hundred points tally, so I'll, I'll be quite happy with ninety-five. Though, thank you, Stuart. <laughs> Brilliant. You've been good so far. How have you been playing in the games? Yes, best performance of the season, in my opinion, on Saturday. A bit rocky at the start. Rochdale was a bit of an ugly win, but a win's a win, isn't it? Rochdale are going to be good this year. Good young manager, you know, some good young players. They're not going to be like what they were last year. I quite fancy them for the top half. And they've been playing good football as well. They, they were one of the sure, best sides they've come up against. So maybe I'm being harsh on, on us. But let's start yeah. straight from the top. For those who don't know anything about Peterborough, let's go sure. all the way back to 2006. You were the youngest chairman in the football league at the age of 30. Good old and, I, and I believe <laughs> <laughs> believe a fan of Liverpool. So in short, why Peterborough United? Um, I just wanted to buy a football club. And I guess it's you know the levels you can afford when you're 29, 30. And it was always one of my targets, one of my aims, that when I was doing well in life, I wanted to buy a football club. I couldn't buy Liverpool. Um, I didn't have the money. And I thought, yeah, let's have a bit of fun. Let's buy a football club. Let's lose most of my money. It's a great way to lose lots of your wealth and uh, have fun along the way doing it. But yeah, as when you say things like, geez, 13 years, my God, it's, I'm, I'm saying it now, but actually it feels like 30 years, but no, it's been a blast. So the, I think it's fair to say there's, there's not a great deal of money in football for a chairman, <laughs> is there? <laughs> No, I, I mean, look, you can lose your, you, can I say the word bollocks on, on, a, on a podcast? Ah, say what you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you can lose your bollocks very quickly in football. It depends what you get into it for. Um, I, I was doing well in life. I got into it to not make money, to, to yeah, a bit of a project, to try and take a club from the bottom of the leagues to the top as best I could. I tried to do it responsibly. 
Uh, or you can win the football uh, with a different motive and you can go into football to try and make money and, and try and suck the blood out of a club and make a few quid along the way. And as you've seen recently with some of the horror stories we can see out there at the moment happening with clubs, it's, that's not the right way to do it. So it just depends from what perspective or what angle you come at when you buy into to the football world. It helps if you're a fan. I'm a massive fan of football. I, I live and breathe it and love it. Um, I think if you've just gone into it from a business perspective, I'm always a bit suspicious of that motive. Yeah, I think I was looking through, because obviously there's the rumours of our takeover, and I was looking through a few clubs that have been took over. And the ones that are most successful, i.e. Wolves, have always had someone who knows, for example, sure. Wolves Football Club inside of it, and someone who knows football. And it tends to work a bit better, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think you get good people around you. I think people who've worked in football before. Owners get a lot of criticism for you know meddling or interfering or whatever else, but I think any fan and anyone in the right mind who puts millions of pounds of their own money in, I think they got a right to say, don't they, and things, and they should be allowed to have what they say. But they need to be knowledgeable about the game as well, and I think it helps if you have people who are knowledgeable. And you know, I was lucky early on. I, I knew about football, but I had people like Barry Fry, who's been in football for 100 years, and and that was a great person to lean on and his contacts and and. You know, without him, it certainly wouldn't have been as easy, as, not easy, but wouldn't have been as enjoyable as it's been because having that person there as a go-to person has helped. And I, th- I see a lot of people buy football clubs and they put maybe agents in charge, you know, to run football clubs and they put people with no experience in charge to run football clubs. And it's a recipe for disaster. And I think what people forget as well as the community. It's really important when you buy a football club. First thing I didn't want to do, I didn't want to change a lot of the people at the top of the club or around the club. and. You know, you, you try and embrace those people because they live and breathe the, the, the club itself. It's not financially motivated for them. It's, it's, it's passion. That's why they're in it. And uh, I think it's really important you keep people like that around the club. You were pretty much describing Sunderland there when you said people taking over the club and, and putting non-football people into the club to run it. I think you were describing gotcha. Sunderland before Stuart Donald came in, if, you, if I'm honest with you. That was a good description as well, whether that was intentional or not. Uh, I, I'm not having a go at any ex-owner because I think anyone who puts money in and loses money, your previous owner wasn't popular. But I think the best thing he did for the fans was probably the last sale that he did. And obviously when Stuart Donald came in with his partners, because they've been pretty good for the club. So he did the right thing in the end. You see a lot of other clubs are in trouble and those owners haven't done the right thing. They're hanging in for their last dollar and those clubs are on, you know, they're on the verge of going out of business. So say what you want about the previous guy out of short. He did lose his balls in that, in that football club financially, but he did do a deal that enabled Stuart Donald to come in and take over, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100% on the money with that. Talking of money, let's look at Ooh. your transfer business. Um, you've made, in my opinion, I, I actually topped you. I, I did a, a League One preview and I took you for third, but it was kind of... It was kind of head a heart over head with that because I put Sunderland the second, but gotcha. you made some really good signings this summer. Moisa, Niall Mason, Dan Butler, George Boyd, Mark Beavers. As much as I hate him, Nathan Thompson, but to name a few. How happy were you with the, the transfer window? Really, really happy. Um, we, we, we tend to do a lot of business every year and we probably did too much business last year when we had Steve Evans and then we brought in 62 players. Now we brought in 15 or 16, but I, I think what we did was we... We went back to recruiting for the club, not a manager. We, we found a manager that fits with our philosophy and our ideas and the way we want to play. And we went out and recruited players for our football club that that manager could coach and improve. And I think because what's really important, that's not us picking the players or the team or anything else. The manager has to agree with what we're doing, of course. But the way we look at it is, is what's Peterborough good for? You know, what, what, what are we famous for and am for? Exciting, young, flair-type players, players who go score goals, move for millions. 
But what's really important is the age bracket. We like to recruit 17 to 23 year olds. And we agreed that we went away from that last year um, and we wanted to get pace and a bit of flair back in the team. So we had a core group of really good players and we moved on a few and we brought in what we feel are eight or nine players that were in the proper positions that we needed. And what we also did really well was we got two bits of experience in there in Mark Beavers and George Boyd, who we felt helped those younger players through the hard times because every team goes through a shitty patch. And if you don't have the right characters in the dressing room, the shitty patch can turn into a shitty season very quickly. So we just wanted to make sure that we were doing things right, put the foundation in place and see where it gets us. But above all else, if the gaffer went and got a manager and managed in Scotland or you know, Rangers came in and made a manager, that we know we've got the youth set up and we've got the type of players recruited for the club that we go out and recruit the next manager. It's a seamless approach and it's a seamless progression. Uh, and that's really important for our football club. So, yeah, we feel we did really well this summer. I'm not getting carried away. Um, I'd like to get carried away, but, you know, having, having clubs like Sunderland and Ipswich and Portsmouth and, you know, former Premier League, big clubs in our league, it's 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 never going to be an easy league to try and get promoted from. You've got to put your best foot forward, haven't you? Yeah, and I think I think I've spoken a few times with other people on this podcast about how, how difficult last season was in terms of how strong the league was. I mean, there was yourselves yeah. who were up there for a long time, but any of those teams had a, a dip and that was it. Like we had a dip we, that we were fifth. Portsmouth had a dip, they finished fourth. You had a dip, finished seventh, but it was a really difficult league this season. But it's, I, I keep saying it's a bit of an easier league this season, but but is it? You know, you've just mentioned Ipswich, Pompey, oh, really strengthened I, you have. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Lincoln have come up and Lincoln are a really strong team with Danny Cowley and his brother. And, um, is, I, I don't know if it's easier because, you know, when we got promoted in the past, we had teams like Leeds, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United. We had Leicester we finished runners up to when we got promoted like 10, 11 years ago, whenever it was. So yeah. I always I always think, you know, when you see people say, oh, it's going to be easier this year, it's going to, I don't think you can judge it like that. You look at League One still and it's got some massive clubs in it. And, and you've then got clubs like us who are obviously investing and spending a few quid. You've got other clubs with momentum coming up from League Two. So, do you know what? I, I just say to football fans, ignore everything until February and March. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we won 10 in a row or you win 15 in a row. Because look at Luton last year. I mean, who would have bet their bollocks on Luton winning League One this time last year? We, we trounced them 3-1 on our place. You'd never have picked them out to win the league by a canter, would you? No, and, 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 and they just, yeah, but they got on a run. And, and, and when we've been promoted before, it's all about going on that run. And you, you were doing really well, pretty consistent. You drew too many games last year. But the reality is it was in your hands probably, what, with 12, 14 games to go? Yeah, quite easily. Even yeah, even yeah. Less. yeah, probably less. But but the reality is, is that's when you judge it. It doesn't matter up to that point. It really is that kind of running, isn't it? Yeah, no, very much so. I think, yeah, I agree with you on that 100%. I think going back to sort of transfers before and you're talking about building squads and stuff like that I think yeah. one thing I was quite impressed with with uh, Peterborough in the summer was I could be wrong in the player but I'm pretty certain you knocked back a bit of around 4 million for Ivan Tony. Yeah. We, we yeah. spoke to Stuart Donald in terms of George Honeyman um, and yeah. that was the, the right or the wrongs of him going or staying were basically debated but what I asked Stuart was you know how does a bid like that work and I said he said he left it with the management. If the management felt it was a good idea, then they negotiate the deal. From your side, from a posh side, shall we say, do you say at the four million bid for Ivan Tony comes in, do you knock that straight back because you don't think it's the best value or best? Yeah, but, uh, I, I mean, I've got two partners um, uh, at the football club, but the football business is my 100% yes or no on everything. 
So I get final say on what comes in and what goes out. And we work really well in that way because the guys want to want to leave me to do the football side of the business. So they trust me implicitly. And we spoke in, I think it was June, July. Phone calls were coming in. I think even your director of football rang Barry. I was in Dubai in June. Even I had a conversation about Ivan Tony. And that's, I think, when the market stuff came up. But And we were saying, look, we're, we're not selling Ivan Tony. And, and it, it wasn't a bid. It was just a general conversation before all our fans lose their shit and go, oh, we bid for Ivan Tony. Um, that was Barry Fry gets on really well with Richard Hill and, and your honor, Stuart. But we suddenly in July then started getting sniffs that, you know, we knew Barnsley, we knew Luton, and then when Charlton started coming in and we started getting, you know, first we had, I think it was two emails from a championship club. One, it was really funny. One of them was found in spam of our CEO's spam mail. He sent it to me. And this club had made a bid on a Thursday. And because it went into spam, it wasn't seen until Monday. So they actually came back and made a second bid that went into the same spam and it got up like 600 grand. <laughs> and I'm thinking, they even, they, yeah, they haven't even phoned us, do you know what I mean? And they're making bids without hearing a rejection first, you know? So we, we kind of knew. And then we knew Charlton were worried about losing Lyle Taylor. So the Charlton guy, I think it was Gallagher, who's doing the deals around Barry and said, look, would you take two? Would you take two and a half? Then it came about a day before deadline day with a couple, well, we got about 11 bits in total for Ivan Tony. And, and come deadline day, I had made the decision with my partners as well. We'd had a chat during the summer that it just made no sense selling somebody of Ivan Zilk for 4 million, even 5 million, because getting a promotion is probably worth 10, 11 million to us, the football club. And um, even though we'd spent over a million in Moisa, we just felt that we, we knew what we were doing this season. We needed those strikers. And, and we suddenly get rid of Ivan Tony, doesn't matter what it was for. To go out and try and replace him, and then suddenly you, everything you've built on in pre-season goes out the window, and it's happened to us before when we lost to Samba Longa. So, I, you know, I, I made it very clear to Barry, look, none of those bids are going to really excite me. And I went on deadline day with about two hours to go because I was trying to shift some excess weight from the summer, you know, holidays and extravagance. So I went on a five-mile walk, and I'm walking around, I'm listening to music on my beats, and Barry Fry probably rang me. I'd say six times uh, leading up to the end of the deadline. And then obviously with five minutes to go, the club and the championship, I think they were going to lose their strike to Brentford. And they basically were like, right, last bid, we'll give you four million up front, such and such sell on. And I said to Baz, Baz, it's, it's a no from me. Of course, Barry couldn't believe it. You know, people were turning down that kind of money. But the reality is we turned down, I, was there, I calculated the other day, upwards of about seven million in bids for various players. You know, if you add all the players we had bids for over the summer, it was about seven millions worth of we just we're really serious about getting promoted. We're serious about you know buying our stadium, possibly getting a new one, and and we want to make us a club that's not that club that people can feel they can walk in and bully us into taking three or four million for our best player, uh, and, and and that's what we want to be like. Now the fallout from that obviously is it's that then you get a player going well if I'm a four million pound player, his agents obviously emailing me and saying pay him as a four million pound player. Yeah. So you know that that's a whole other thing. But Ivan's a really good guy and he understood. And I said to Ivan, with all due respect to the clubs that were bidding, it's not like they were Derby or Forest that were going to be paying them 25 grand a week. It wasn't life-changing. So win promotion with us, Get let's get to the championship, and then it'll be life-changing for everybody. So that's kind of the way it was, you know? And, and, and to be fair, our gaffer said to me at the time, geez, chairman, that's good business. You should take that. Uh, and, you know, because he's been around a long time, and he, he, you know, he just thought, he was like, geez, that's, that's a very good bid. And, but he was happy in the end we didn't sell his league goal score. And that it was going to, potentially not mention it at all um i was just just to see how what, what people would have really genuinely thought sure but marcus madison i think i have to mention it especially sure. with ourselves and, and Sunderland talking about it now you you're on twitter you know exactly what the marcus madison thing just got crazy overnight but 
So what I'll touch on, ask a really sort of straightforward question. You commented previously, and somebody asked me to ask this, um, that our recruitment team aren't a fan of Marcus. Now, uh, you touched on Richard Hill and Stuart before being... So, and you mentioned that basically our recruitment team, essentially Richard Hill is not a big fan of Marcus, whether that be a player or or whatever. How did you come to know that? And have... Was he ever been offered to us or has his agent ever spoken about him wanting to come? Uh, I'll explain. So, obviously, we knew we were going into the last year of Marcus Madison's contract. And I'd always said to Marcus that, particularly at the end of the season, look, we'll see if we can get you a move. He he served his time with Peterborough United in League One. And if there's ever a player that deserved to go to, say, the Championship or a big football club, it's Marcus. And it would have to be a big football club that was outside the Championship. So... You know, Marcus Madison, I think, is a Sunderland fan. I think everyone knows that from when he was a kid and that neck of the woods he's from. And what it was, was when we played you at our place, I think, was it in April, the 1-1? Yes, um, April, yeah. Your, ma- your manager had said to our gaffer, you know, what's a player that boy is? I really liked him last summer, but I heard such bad things about him. That's why we never came in from. So that was a conversation between the two gaffers. So Barry doing his job in June when we started making phone because we need to know ahead of time if we're going to sell a player because we need to replace him. So Barry's got to do his job. In June, obviously, he made a few calls to clubs in the championship and said, look, everyone knows about his release clause. If we're going to do any business in Marcus, it's got to be in June. Otherwise, we're probably not going to do any business. So we knew Grant McCann wanted him at Hull when he got the job at the end of June. But obviously, the bid they made through his age, it was derisory kind of thing. So Baz spoke to, I believe he rang Richard, or I don't know if Richard rang him, but the Ivan thing. They had a conversation in June, and I was at a water park in Dubai when Barry rang me. And he said, oh, I've spoke to Richard, blah, 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 about Ivan. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, did the Marcus thing come up? And he said, yeah. He said, I said, your manager likes him. Is there any interest? And Richard said to Barry along the lines of, no, nah, we don't rate him. I don't anyway. And, you know, there's no way we'd be bidding for Marcus Madison. So obviously, I'm a big Marcus Madison fan. So I'm like, you know, are you are you kidding me? And he goes, no, that's what he says. My God, I'm like, okay, fair enough. It's all about it. football's all about opinions. So Richard has been in the game a long time. I'm not going to have a go with him. So someone asked me on Twitter. I was still in Dubai on holiday. A couple of days later, someone, I think it was a Sunderland fan, asked me on Twitter, and I just said, I can't remember along the lines. Was there's no point in asking about Sunderland, Marcus Madison. Your your director of football doesn't rate him. So that was kind of it, and that that's where it is. That that's just been the way it is. So. It's horses for courses, you know what I mean? The way I view a player might be the way you view a player. So yeah. that, that's all That's all that matters. And and, and, and and the reality is, I don't think you guys are spending big bucks this summer, are you anyway? So you've got a pretty set of squad. It's, it's probably done you a favour, not going out and splashing in the transfer market, but you've started really well, haven't you? So, you Very know, it's something so, yeah. quite... Yeah, to go out and splash, you know, north of three million quid on a on a League One player, it was probably never on the agenda, and that's probably suited you guys. So whether we raised him or didn't raise him, that's the reality of the situation. One thing I did want to ask about Marcus, but you kind of touched sure. on that in a way, um, he's very good at his social media and and kind of indicating he's a Sunderland fan. Is that, <laughs> all, for, is that all for show, or is he actually a big Sunderland fan? I think he is a big Sunderland fan. I think his dad and everything else as well. He was in was he in Sunderland's academy when he was a kid, or was it Newcastle? I know he was at Newcastle. But I think Marcus started, you've got pre-academies up there, don't you? And I think I want to say he was in a pre-academy and he went from there to Newcastle. Then he got kicked out of Newcastle as a kid and went to Gateshead. And obviously we paid like 500 grand for him at Gateshead when he was 20. So I, I know from the boy himself, and I spoke to him about a new contract recently, we were talking about football and life and whatever. And he, he's got very big links to Sunderland. So it's definitely in his blood. 
Good. Well, that's nice to hear. Just on the off chance that you know he does ever turn off, <laughs> and eventually yeah. happens. You know what? If we got promoted and Marcus walked off into the sunset, and he ended up at Sunderland. I'd be happy for him, and I'd be happy for us. Nice to hear. I hope it yeah. does happen. I'll be honest, from a very biased viewpoint, but I hope it happens sooner than that. Um, he's, he's an unbelievable. He shouldn't be in League One. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. Tremendous, tremendous goal on Saturday. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, he's, he's, he is what he is. He's, he's just a worker. He's just a talent. So uh, all the shit written about him off the field and what manager, it's a lot of bullshit. I, I feel for the boy because there's so many less talented players playing in the championship than him. And he should be absolutely making a fortune in the championship with that talent. But that's me. That's not biased. So... <laughs> So moving back to to sort of Peterborough's season, I suppose, because I sure. had to touch on the, the Madison stuff, but you had a really, really tough start. And I remember being quite surprised and thinking, oh, bloody hell, they've lost like three in a row or something. But you yeah. really found your feet and you absolutely thrashed Milton Keynes <laughs> at the weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I wasn't you, surprised by our bad start, to be fair. You don't want to get too excited, but do you, do you feel like you, you're beginning to see what you sort of wanted to build within the team? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I we lost those three games, but I think... Sometimes you look at a loss and you think, "Crikey, we were really bad." You know, we were. You know, when you watch your team and you think, "We didn't have a shot and goal. We didn't have a kick. We were really bad." Now that doesn't happen to Sunderland a lot in League One, but you know, from the dark days, you remember what it feels like. And and I watched the three losses, and we weren't like that. You know, it was building blocks. It was it was set piece errors. It was mistakes that was costing us the games. And you always felt looking at it. That's not going to last forever. And 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 the quality of player we brought in, they will improve us. So. I'm not getting carried away by beating MK Dons. I'm not getting carried away by beating Southend. You know, Sunderland could come and tank us on Saturday. We could beat Sunderland. I still won't get carried away. Because like I said to you previously, we're a long way out from when you think, right, we're proper promotion challenges. What What is the aim for Peterborough? Yeah, obviously promotion, but I mean, our chairman, when we had him on our podcast at the end of <laughs> the playoff game, he said, what he actually said was, he didn't say we're going to get 100 points. He said, we need to aim for 100 points. 100%. Do yourself and Darren set similar targets? Yeah, the way I look at it is if you can go two points a game, you know, 95% of the time you're getting promoted, aren't you? So yeah. if you go 92 points in a season, you're going to have a promotion season. And, you know, our target, probably like Sutherland and Ipswich and those, and I, I don't understand arrogant, we, we do want to be automatic promotion favourites because, as you all know, there's no guarantee in the playoffs that you're going to get promoted, is there? And, and it's, it's on any given day what happens in the playoffs. So the way to get championship football is you've got to be in the top two. Now, we know that's a tough ask with the big clubs in our league. We know that. We know the Ipswiches. We know the Sunderlands, Portsmouth are going to come strong. So it's not going to be easy. But we feel with the partnership we got up front, with the defensive reinforcements we brought in, you know, we've got a chance. But we, we've got to catch fire. And when you catch fire, it's got to be the right time. There's no point in catching fire now. We did it last year at the start of the season. It means jack shit. We've got to catch fire when it matters. With our normal um, extra podcast, just just to make you aware, obviously I normally set the agenda, so to speak. Um, But because I think there was a few people interested in you coming on, we had Andy Holt last year, and we obviously we've had our own chairman, as I sort of touched on it before. So we we like to get a bit of Twitter questions in before we talk about the actual game, I think. so I had a couple of really good questions that I probably would have never thought of myself because I'm a scatterbrain and I would have just thought it's been completely different and massively mundane. But uh, James Lawson, who's actually you know, does the extra podcast now and again, actually, funnily enough, but he asked a really, really good question because you've been there, as you said, 13 years now. But how has your philosophy slash approach changed over the years when it comes to running a football club? Uh, it's a great question, to be fair, Talon. Um, when I first bought the club, I, I brought in the young and hungry mantra 
where we shopped in the lower leagues and went and tried to get the best players, you know, in a certain age group from lower down. We did really, really well from that. Um, and the whole idea was this group of 17 to 23 year old players would grow up within 10, 15 miles of the stadium over a three year period and get better, improve us as a club, would go on and play for bigger clubs and we'd use the money to, you know, build a bigger foundation for ourselves. And we did that really well to a point. And then obviously we had a really unlucky period where we came out of the championship and we've suffered since, you know, we, we, we won the checker trade, we lost in the playoffs. We've had a few seasons where we've kind of been top 10, top 12, but not quite got back into the playoffs. So I, I went away from that. When I brought in Steve Evans, I thought, you know what, we've got to go away from that. We've got to try something new. I went away from my principles. I, I, I let go of a lot of the recruitment we do. I missed out on a lot of good players because of that. And there was an agreement when we brought new management in that we would still get a couple of players, they would get the mass majority. And then obviously we went back to Fergie because I thought to myself, you know, we are what we are. Our fan base is growing, but it's not a massive fan base. It's a passionate fan base, but it's not massive. And it's certainly not going to pay the bills. So we have to get around financial fair play by creating these young players that go get sold for mega money that we can then put and invest back into the squad. So we went back to that and we brought Fergie back. And Fergie believes in the philosophy and what we do. He suits everything about our club, our youth academy that we're investing a lot of money in and trying to move that up the category. So that's what we went back to. So I guess the answer to the question is, you know, stick to your beliefs and your principles and try not to change. But it doesn't mean you can't evolve and it doesn't mean that you can't adjust to, to short-term things either. But at the end of the day, still have a long-term plan. And make sure it's for the football club and it's not for a manager because unfortunately in our business, managers come and go. Yeah, very much I agree. Um, Tom? asks a really good question actually because i was checking this as to when twitter actually came out and to when you sure. took the club over and twitter only existed six months prior to you taking the club over six months after something like that and he asked a really gotcha. good question said how long did it take for you to understand how to use social media effectively as a manner of fan communication uh, it's a good question it was it was my wife who got me to go on twitter we were in barbados and i think it was is it oh nine 2010 i can't remember when i first went on twitter um, but she was the one who was on Twitter and she was on Facebook and she's like, you'd be really good on social media. You should use it as a, because there's a lot of stuff that come out in the papers and there's a lot of rumors of gossip and stuff like that. And I thought, you know what? I could use social media to be transparent and come out. If an agent says or a rumor merchant says, oh, that player's been sold or this has happened to Peterborough, straight away I can come out and go, bullshit and call. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that's kind of why I use it. Now, the only downside to it is, is that I have unfortunately over the years, not all the time, but I did once and I haven't done it since. I lost my shit on Twitter. You know, when we when we lost a bad game, I did that 10-point mad plan. And, you know, my wife rang me from America and I was in England. She said, Christ, you've even made ESPN over here in the news. So I was like, <laughs> uh-oh, um, you know, for what I did on Twitter. So I would always say to any owner who wants to go on Twitter, a couple of things. One would be, don't go on it after you win or lose a game. Give yourself a couple of days. And try not to react to trolls. Um, because there are a lot of people on Twitter for the wrong reasons. We see that with all the racism stuff, and it's it's yeah. disgraceful. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of sad little shitheads that sit in their bedrooms and just want to dig out people and have a go. And I always call it the faceless minority. And you hear a lot from the faceless minority, unfortunately, in today's day and age. It's why we live in a woke society, 2019, where you know we're meant to give a shit about the 0.5% of the world population and some of their, their opinions. Well, that's the reality of social media. That's what you bring to the table when you open that up. And, and that's what you hear from so many of these saddles with the shit that come at you on Twitter. Uh, and I don't get that myself personally. It is what it is. I'll swat it away. I'll deal with a troll. Um, I, I won't take any shit off anyone on Twitter. 
But as they say, everyone's entitled to an opinion, right? Yeah, everyone, the second Arsenal, mate, everyone's got one, I suppose. Everyone's got um, one, absolutely. Yeah, you talked about uh, being woke there uh, previously. We, obviously, Chris Maguire got a bit of fat shaming, so he did in the summer. And we talked about having one where we called people out who criticised Chris Maguire for being fat and decided to call it Walker Report, but I don't think it's quite catching on. But... <laughs> no. But listen, I don't think Chris's diet's doing him any harm if that hat-trick's to go by. <laughs> many pies as he wants. <laughs> exactly right. What a player. <laughs> can, do, can do what he likes as far as I'm aware. Cakes, pies, exactly. a whole lot. I'll feed him to him if he keeps doing that. And you know um, what? There you go. That's the reality. It's like the shit you get away with when you're doing well and the shit you can't get away with when you're not doing you well. Know what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we spoke to Stuart a little bit about social sure. media and I think I think it's really yeah. important. Um, and I spoke about I spoke to Andy as well, who I think but I think Andy Holt is I think Andy Holt's great. I really like him. Um, yeah. I really like having one as a guest, but yeah. I think he's vastly different to a Peterborough and, and definitely to a Sunderland with, a, with the greatest sure. of respect. And sure. I think he would agree with me on that, I, I hope, because um, he's on next week, so I hope this doesn't put him off. Um, but when he when he talks on, on Twitter and stuff like that, I think for a club the size of Accrington, it definitely very much helps the club. I think it gives them... Um, a lot more, a lot more visual, basically, that yeah. someone is, is speaking so honestly and so open. But when it comes to sort of Peterborough and, and Sunland, and we're talking about Twitter trolls and stuff like that, and Stuart Donald yeah. took a bit of time off in the summer because, and and Stuart Donald's talk, talked sort of about some things that have been thrown at him, and this time I saw, that, I saw, I saw yeah. he came off, and I, that was disappointing. He came off Twitter because you know I, I, I've never met Stuart personally. He, he comes across a good guy, and you know when I saw that he was obviously getting battered on Twitter, I thought you know. That's a big shame because, you know, the fan base got two Wembley appearances last year. They probably had their, yes, you didn't win the cup. Yes, you didn't win promotion. But in terms of a successful season with hope, it was probably your best season like that for quite a while. And it, you, you, were, you were minutes away in each of those games from winning the double, you know, winning promotion, winning a cup. And, and, and so for him to get any criticism afterwards, you know, that's uncalled for. And I, I think I'm necessary. And I would always say to him, when I spoke to him personally, I was like, listen, don't let a few people, you know, push you away from the mass majority of people who are supportive. I think he's a sensitive soul, but he's a, he's a good one. And, and I think that's where you're, you're different. And again, I've only just met you this evening. Sure. Um, obviously, you spoke via email, but I would say, do you, how do I put this? I think either you've been on longer than Stuart has with the club. Sure bigger than Stuart previously had or do sure. you think you just grow a tolerance to the point no, where I, I, I think I think it depends who you are as a person yeah. and I, I like I said I don't know Stuart so I couldn't comment for him as, a, as an individual is he is he a soft soul is he hardcore is he is he is he got thick skin is he not I, I, you, you call him sensitive I don't know if Stuart's sensitive if he's not we, we're all a little bit sensitive sometimes and whatever but yeah. I guess I'm thicker skinned you know I was in sales all my life I took a lot of shit as you do when you work in sales and, and I'm, Me you too. Know, I'm yeah, yeah there you go and I've worked all over the world I, I grew up in Spain and, and you know I've dealt with a lot of different people a lot of different cultures and, and you have to be to be successful to be the best at what I did for particular in real estate you really did need to be able to take rejection and know a lot because you're going to hear a hell of a lot of no's when you're in sales, but you only need to hear one yes. And I guess when it comes to, look, I'm not going to lie and say it doesn't affect me. It probably affects my wife, my family a bit more than it does me um, as regards to some of the shit and the grief I get on social media. But I tend to bounce it away and move on. You would never yeah. see me walk into a room with my family and they would not know if I've been criticized or hammered because 
I would hate my children and my family to feel that way um, or to see it getting to me or affecting me. And if it does, I'll walk away. There's no way I would let football affect my family. So I, I, I just bat that shit away. And I, and, I, and I find it funny. Like I was in the cinema this morning with my wife because I've been away in England for 26 days away from my family. So I finally came home a few days ago. <laughs> so one of the things we do when I get back is we go see a movie during the day when the kids are at school and we went to watch that movie, Jared Butler, um, Angel Has Fallen movie. And, you know, there was stuff on Twitter. I was just checking in while the trailers were on about this podcast. And, and there was a guy on there going, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Who are you? <laughs> and I was laughing. Yeah, I, was I, like, I was saying to my missus, should I go back to this fucking idiot and say, well, why are you bothering tweeting me then, you sad prick? But I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to stop the flames of that. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you don't want to hear what I have to say, you sad little shit, but you actually respond on Twitter with something. What does that make you? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I've I've learned doing this. Thick skin is necessary, and and you have to kind of just brush it off. And I think the question yeah. I was going to ask was, um, I think you kind of answered it in a way by the, sure. what you've said. Was does it does involvement in social media help or hinder? But I think if you can brush off the stupid negativity that's not constructive, then it very much helps, doesn't it? It, it helps, and I think you've got to be able to deal with it. Like I said to you, you've got to be strong. I would always say, you know, I try and bring my children. My kids are thirteen, twelve, and ten. And, I, and they're being brought up in this whole fragile world environment of you can't say this and you can't do that. And if you say that, you must apologize. And Christ almighty, it's like, it, it's unbelievable, really, the way it is now. People are just offended by everything. So I would hate to be my kids having to grow up and navigate all of that crap nowadays. So <laughs> I just think everyone needs to be thicker skinned. Everyone needs to get on with things. And everyone has to stop being so offended. And, you know, as for the sad people who take it up one step further and, and use social media for racism and for some of the vile shit that comes out, we all know what needs to happen to those people. But, yeah, my advice is, look, don't go on social media. You know, if you think it's all, you know, uh, lilies and roses and, you know, lovely and forget about social media because it's not the real world. Particularly if you're in football, it's, it can be a horrendous place to be. And don't take it too seriously. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. Um, I've, I've had to learn to do the same at your level. Maybe it's a bit different, but yeah, I've tried. But moving on to nicer things, football, sure. Saturday's game. Um, you looking forward to it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as much as you can do when you're playing the Premier League giant, right? So uh, it's, it's uh, what I'm looking forward to is it's going to be two good teams and it's a really good test. Um, and I know you guys are going to bring an absolute shitload of people. Uh, which is great because the atmosphere in April was just electric. You guys, when you scored late on, you were on the pitch. And then obviously the emotion when we scored in the 91st minute to see the, the flip side of that. So that's football. That's the great thing about it. And I think the Sunderland fans are a great uh, bunch of fans and they fill up everyone's coffers in League One. It's kind of why probably most of League One wanted you to stay down at Wembley because of the amount of money that you actually bring into League One clubs. But it, we all know that's not going to last forever. And this is probably the season you go up. So I just think it's going to be a really, really enjoyable test. Hopefully two cracking teams playing good football. And what we don't want to see is a bloody nil nil. <laughs> yeah, probably. Now we've said it. Or a 1-1. Oh, God, no, not another 1-1. <laughs> not another 1-1. <laughs> not another one of them. Um, so I, I think we... I normally ask this question every week, but I sure. feel like with... With, with Peterborough, we sort of know. Obviously, we know about Ivan Tony because of his time yeah. last season and his time at Newcastle. We know about Marcus Madison because Marcus Madison. Um, and we obviously know about you know a few players that you have. But if, if you were to pick out players that you think Sunderland fans should look out for, who, who would you be your standouts at the moment? We've got a great young left-back we got from uh, Northern League in Kingsland. Um, 
played Tracy, Fraser played Tracy. He's a bit of a bomber. We've got Louis Reed, who's only 22. He sits at the bottom of the diamond and kind of dictates play. We've obviously got George Boyd, who's a club legend, who we brought back, and he's still got legs in him. And then obviously Josh Knight from Leicester on loan is a hell of a, a midfielder. He's he's kind of all bustling action and physicality. Um, so we've got a few good players to look out for. But like I said to you, you just don't know on any given Saturday, particularly you know against Sunday, what it's going to be like. I mean, what formation are you guys playing this year? Uh, we've gone kind of like a well, we started with a back three, but now we're going more like a four, a four four two almost with Maguire and White up front. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I mean you've got a lot of striking power, haven't you? One or two, yeah, one or two. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not Will Grigg at the minute, but hopefully he makes me to my way. What's going on with Griggy? I mean, he, he's he's prolific at league one. Why has that not worked out there? Confidence, I think. Um, I think a lot of the time not. I think he, he came into a place like Madger last year and very different player to Madger. I think he struggled when we all expected him to hit the ground running. I think then people started thinking, uh, is this the right move? And then obviously with the disappointment towards the end of the season, he didn't really contribute the way we hoped in Hall. Didn't have a great preseason. Didn't have a good, gotcha. We didn't have a good first two games of the season. We wanted to come out all guns blazing, as you do. And we drew... Yeah. Two games, one one, which was a bit like Groundhog Day, and he was up front. And then, but to be honest, he's played all right the past two games that he's came on against Rochdale and um, Wimbledon on Saturday. But he missed he missed a set from about five yards out. But it's just confidence. If one of them goes in, then he's he's getting in the right positions. Well, listen, let's hope that you know this game isn't the one he comes back in. It's the one afterwards. But listen, you know they said class is permanent, so. I think uh, you won't have any problems with him. I, I expected him to score both lovely goals when he moved to you guys. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. So, I mean, you all must be pretty confident that you're going to win this league, right? Oh, I don't know. I, w- I really? wouldn't say that. No, say that. behave. Behave. Really? Where are you weak? Where where, where do you feel you're weak? Uh, left back. You're trying to get could... the boy Fox from Sheffield Wednesday, right? Yes, so I've been told, yeah. And Den- Denver Hume had a better game on Saturday, but he's still very young. Still very young, um, and there's a big sort of Marcus Madison shaped in the number in the number ten. Uh, so something like that would do. Right? Yeah, California, forget about it. <laughs> so, so we've been told we have, and that brings me on to who you who you feel could damage Peterborough on Saturday, and, and where do you think our strengths and weaknesses are from when you watched us recently? Yeah. I think I actually don't think there's a lot of weakness. I think a lot of uh, everyone overreacted last year because you drew what eighteen games? Was it eighteen games? 17. Uh, 17. I spoke to my, yeah, you know, I was in coffee with my dad this morning. He was saying, you know, what's going on at Sunderland? And I said, well, actually, they're a good team. Last year, I think they only lost five times in the league, if I'm right or wrong, four or five times. Yeah, that's right. Five times you know, you turned five of those draws into wins and you would have gone up automatically. So I said, you know, the best thing for them probably this summer was not a lot of mad recruitment, was sticking what did really well last year and just improving one or two things. And I said, so I really expect them to be way up there this year. Um, from a perspective of strengths and weaknesses, look, you can call out and go, McGeady is way too good for League One, so he shouldn't be actually playing for you guys. Um, you could say White on his day is just a physical force. You know, Maguire, we all look at the hat-trick the other day, um, very, very talented player when he wants to be. Um, and he's always pretty much done well against us, even when he played for Oxford. And, and you would probably say, I haven't seen you this year yet on TV. Last year, you would probably say, if anywhere I needed to improve, it's probably at the back line. 
Um, you know, that would be correct at centre back, and, and absolutely, I, I, I haven't, I, I, you haven't shipped a lot of goals this year, so maybe the managers improve what you what you have there. So you, you're a phenomenal goalkeeper. So you know, I, I don't think it needs that much tinkering really to get you you know firing and, and, and going again. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right from a neutral perspective. But being a Sunderland fan, sometimes you get shrouded in the oh God, what's going to happen if, um, and that can happen. But predictions for Saturday, if you if you do such a thing. I, I, I don't do predictions, but I would say three things. It's either going to be 3 1 to Sunderland, it's going to be 2 1 to us, or it's going to be 3 3. Oh, Jesus. That's a, that's a good ra- I might actually put that on, actually, because I'm bound to win one of them, aren't I? Um, but I think it'll be goals. Yeah, I, I just don't do predictions. I could. I, our problem has been the last few years. We've got to get our home form together. We're phenomenal away from home. And like you last year with all your draws, we finished a point short of the playoffs, and I think we only won at home seven out of 23 games. Yeah. Go figure that. If, we, if we'd won another five games at home, we'd gone up automatically. <laughs> so, you, you, you know. fine margins. Yeah, Six it's fine margins. margins. When you start doing analytics and analysing, that's what I'm saying to Sullivan fans, don't overreact. Because when you start looking and analysing games and looking at draws and what should have been wins and the small fine margins, it's not all that bad. And, you know, you, you, it's, it's nothing three or four wins in a row suddenly solve uh, and, and momentum and form and, and happiness in the camp and then the fans are happy the players are happy momentum is such a key thing uh, and I guess look at the end of the day it's going to be a good game on Saturday whether you win or we win it's not going to define who wins League One this year that's my opinion yeah I agree but Dara that was perfect thanks so much for coming on appreciate it mate great anytime a pleasure you know I, I admire anyone that does podcasts and, and, and this kind of thing and, and the website and, and wish you well with it you know and obviously look I hope we both get promoted like we maybe do this next year in the championship yes why not that sounds good to me mate sounds very good yeah, it's like a plan absolutely you can fly to Orlando this time and, and video <laughs> we're gonna, I better come in September though because I want to do those Halloween Horror Nights we were talking about before then so don't take the make sure it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.